Hello and welcome to the Antiplex. This is episode six. Every day is Groundhog Day. We will be taking a deep dive into the 1993 existential comedy directed by Harold Ramis, starring Bill Murray and Andy McDowell. Groundhog Day. It's a very, very powerful movie. It's it talks to everybody, and it's still talking to us 27 years later. And joining me today, a very, very, very special guest. We have Miss Farah Shay. Farah, thanks for coming. Hello. Thanks for beaming into my living room. Uh, we're over a Zoom call here in quarantine. It is April 26, 2020. 2020, the craziest year ever, and we're only in April. And something tells me it's going to get crazier. It's wackadoodle. <laughs> So welcome. Uh, it's really, uh, really exciting to have you, Farah. I met you at Salfatel Beverly Hills, where we work our kind of survival job here in Los Angeles to, to make ends meet. Yeah, we toil. Uh, <laughs> we toil, yes. Uh, and I met you a couple years ago. You work in the bar. I work in banquets. Anyway, I don't want to go too much into hotel jobs and whatnot. But, embarrassing. Uh, you're Just <laughs> embarrassing. You know, I'm going to cut this all out. This is all coming out. Uh, no mention of this ever again. But anyway, I'm really pumped to have met you, and you're a super talented, creative gal, and uh, I've just been really blown away and humbled by what you've been doing, and you're a rap musician, songwriter, uh, singer-songwriter. You make videos, mm-hmm. and uh, they're awesome. You put me in... Uh, one of your one of, one of your most recent ones, STFU. Yep. And anyway, I got to be tied up and gagged and being part of the best audience ever. Anyway, I'll turn it over to you to explain uh, what you've been up to. It was a dream come true. Um, really yeah, what I've been up to, uh, <laughs> well, you know, first of all, it's quarantine, so that obviously plays into what we're all doing, but... Um, yeah, but even before that, I had been recording a bunch of music, and I've been getting ready to put out my first album, so in the meantime, before you just let it drop, you know, recommended is that you drop a few singles, so that's what I was doing with the STFU, and I've got a few more coming, and then eventually later on in the summer, I'm going to do um, the full album release, which will be called American Revolution. Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. Yeah, it's That's really so fun. Cool. And I've also been able to like be a little bit creative during quarantine, which has been fun too. So um, I recorded uh, 10 songs before this started for my album. And then like a couple weeks ago, I just made this song called Quarantine Love Song during like midst of everything. And people really liked it. So I just decided to release that one too. So, you know, I'm just kind of... Trying to keep, like, a fine uh, balance between strategy and flying by the seat of my pants. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that sounds... a tough one. <laughs> That's, like, really well said. I loved how you said... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that. I'm going to borrow that. Steal that kernel you just gave. Yeah, because it's, like... I think that like, pretty much sums it up. Because you have all this strategy, and then sometimes it just, like, life throws you for a loop. Like, I didn't expect this right. quarantine to happen. And then I was like, okay, well, I want to be creative, and maybe I'll just, like, make this fun little silly video that I filmed in my living room and just like added all these like cute little uh Japanese animation gifts to it to make it adorable and people (laughs) yeah people really liked it I mean I guess I should release it you know so sometimes you got to listen to the people hell yeah you know they are 
they are the the resonance that we bounce from we bounce back from yeah this podcast has i started it before the quarantine but it's given me a lot more time to work on it and already in episode six really excited um just to be working on that it's really given me something just to control and have like you said life comes at you Mm -hmm. different directions throws you a curveball throws you a loop but something you can take ownership of and, and take sovereignty of and it's really, uh, it's really helped me as an artist to to focus that, and also just to reach out and hear people's stories and this yeah, show something is about... to get you up in the morning too. You're like, well, what the yeah, ramalama ding dong am I gonna do today? <laughs> exactly. Did you see how I censored exactly. myself really well there? Yes, you really, really did. I know. Um, I'm I so good. I'm the worst. I curse constantly, so I'm having to constantly. Uh, <laughs> me too. It's just uh, the do. first time I I submitted the show to to Apple Podcasts on iTunes. It was like clean lyrics, so I was like, you know, I want to keep that up, but also just trying to sound a little professional. Not that cursing takes yeah. away from that, but but anyway. I just uh, Ramalama Ding Dong is a really creative curse, though. So it is. it's given us. A... <laughs> it allows us to be creative, even in our cursing, is to. Yeah, I Be felt censored. like people knew where, where I was going with it, and they were able to follow <laughs> along. Yeah. Uh, that's great. So, where are you from? I am Whence did from you came? the great town of Salt Lake City, Utah. A little suburb right? called Holiday, where every day is a holiday. Excellent. So it's, is it Groundhog Day every day? <laughs> pretty much, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was... Um, I didn't... I wasn't a huge, huge fan of it, living there, um, just because I, I was kind of, you know, wasn't really, I didn't really fit in. You know, I, my mom, my family wasn't Mormon, first of all. My dad's half Arabic, half French. They're kind of liberal. Um, so, you know, I'm just in the middle of this, like, very, very uh, LDS suburb, and a really already weird child, so <laughs> you know, um, good weird, creative weird, yeah, creative awesome weird. weird, also just weird, just normal weird. Um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, now, so you moved to Holly Weird, yeah. And in retrospect, now I think it actually was pretty a pretty cool place to grow up because by the time I moved to Holly Weird, I just really didn't give a monkey's backside about what people thought of me. You know what I mean? So I was just like, whatever. I'm already used to being considered way out there and way different. And so I was, I think maybe easier for me to just be myself um, because I had already gotten very used to that. Uh, yeah, it's great. It's like you already did the, you already did the, the homework, the self work. Yeah. I was like, letting, listen, people didn't like me that, there uh, either. I don't really care. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. I'm, I'm grateful that you had that origin story because obviously it became part of the, the tapestry that is Farishé now. And your, your music speaks, speaks for itself. Uh, your videos speak for themselves that you don't really care what other people think. No. And there is a very empowering, very strong, in a, in a very positive way. Like, do you, be you, beat, beat to your own drum, mm-hmm. kick, kick butt. There's definitely the female power element in a lot yeah. of them, but not always. Just yeah. power in general, ownership of what you're doing. and exactly. It's really powerful stuff. Exactly. So there is elements of female empowerment. 
Um, but that's just because I am a female. Um, <laughs> so I'm just speaking <laughs> from my perspective. You know, I tell my own story, but uh, I right. think that, you know, certainly it's not that females are superior. It's just that I want to, you know, lift us up. But I love my dudes and I want them to be empowered <laughs> too. So yeah, yeah, and you've got some killer dudes in your in your posse. Mm -hmm. uh, your fiance Chase, whom I got to be buddies with, he's super creative, super talented. Another actor. Uh, he's also uh, directed some of your videos, and he's behind mm -hmm. the camera on some of them as well. And yeah. uh, he was there the day on the STFU. Mm -hmm. Uh, so where, where were we again? It was some like art space downtown that you had discovered for that one. Yeah, that was, um, it was a cool website called Splacer. And basically you just, you, it, it's like, kind of like Airbnb for art spaces and you can just, uh, you know, find cool locations for a video shoot. So I just found a very simple warehouse, uh, you know, just kind of like white background cement, uh, not backgrounds, white walls, cement floors, uh, and I, th I thought it was kind of like a perfect setting for the concept of me basically like forcing people to listen to me because that's kind of what the song is ultimately about. It like it sounds very sassy and aggressive, but when you really listen to it, it's just like you need to shut the F up when I'm talking to you. Basically, like, please just listen yeah. to me. Like, don't interrupt yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and you guys stuck me right in the front row and it was uh, it was like three or four rows of of people tied up, dudes tied up, and uh, to, to chairs. And it was really a lot of fun. You yeah. Me the concept my, is uh, like... Facial expressions. And... Yeah. The concept is just you, 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 see, you see me on the microphone with my DJ, uh, with my uh, background uh, bombshells. I don't even like to say background because, you know, they're very important. And I don't like the implications of background. But um, with my bombshells... And so it just starts off like you think it's like kind of like a like a normal warehouse show and then you pan to the audience and it's like 10 guys tied up and gagged and I'm just making them listen to my show. And uh, Mr. Chase Offerly, he was up behind camera, like I was saying, and he had I couldn't believe he shot it on an iPhone with mm -hmm. like the, the gimbal. Yeah. Um, and man, it looks it looks perfect. Yeah. And Shout the way out you were to, able to Ho Hem Gimbal. Yeah. Heck yeah. 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 Uh, no, I know. When I was starting, I was like, hey, Chase, what are you, what are you shooting this bad boy on? He was like, iPhone. Yeah. And I was like, okay, all right. But it actually really gives it, like you said, that you're just at a, you're getting like live coverage of something. It has that kind of, mm -hmm. you know, live, that live, right, right. But it plays into the video so well. And the moves that he was able to get following you and the bombshells and, and us tied and gagged men. Yeah. Uh, and kind of weaving in the, weaving in and out of the rows and, um, man, it just, Comes off so great. Also, your other bombshells, uh, Coco. Coco and uh, Dora. Yeah, they're great. How'd you meet them? Um, Coco, I met doing brand ambassador work a few years okay. back. And uh, we just, I don't know. Like, I think we just kind of connected and started talking. She likes to say that, like, the well, she likes to say, I guess, it, it really happened. It's not like some tall tale. But uh, the first time <laughs> that we worked together, um, you know, I've been known to party uh, in my life. And nonsense. <laughs> this was one of, one of those nights. And uh, I, I didn't have a full-time job at this point. So you can imagine there was more partying going on than than usual. And I had this job to show up to. 
uh, you know, kind of like brand ambassador type thing. And I was running late and I was super hungover and I was downtown and I couldn't find parking. So like everybody was kind of in like the pre-shift talking and I just like strolled in, I guess, like 10 minutes late. And I guess I was just like, hey guys, I'm coming in hot. I don't know why I said that, but, but so they remembered it. And um, we worked a couple of jobs together later and they were like hey it's that coming in hot girl and we just became friends um oh, that's amazing yeah that's and hilarious. and then um we worked together she she's a creative does so many things has her background in acting but she's helped me produce music videos she's um styled stuff with me we we, we collaborate on a lot of stuff uh now we work really well together and um, are kind of like best friends. So we're kind of like best friends. That's a weird, <laughs> we're kind of similar to best friends, but not, no, just joking. We are, um, but anywho, uh, so yeah. And, and, um, and she also works at Sofitel. I got her a, I got her a job at Sofitel too, to make a little extra bread between the creative, uh, you know, stuff. Totally. Yeah. And that's how I met her initially too. And yeah, I really just been, uh, struck by, but you and, and your people, um, I'll say your people, but like the people that you They're you work people. with. They're my people. They belong to me. They're your people. They belong to you. But yes, they, uh, they're under the Farah banner right I now. I possess for sure. their souls. <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, and that's okay. I think they gladly hand over their souls for the sake of work, working with you. It's a small, small price to pay to yeah. work with such an awesome gal like yourself. I, I just, yeah, I'm really just so grateful that I've gotten to kind of be part of this world with, with the Farah the fairy universe, the fairy continuing universe. You're so sweet. And, uh, I feel the same way about you. You're the best. <laughs> oh, you're sweet. Thank you. We love you. But yeah, I, uh, I've gotten to come to some of your live shows, and uh, it's just a blast and a half and times ten. <laughs> uh, really get to – speaking of just letting yourself go and be, I just feel like there's no judgment at all, and I can be my wily self on the dance floor, and – I can wear my LED shoes in peace. and I love um, your LED shoes. <laughs> I know. I can, when this is all over, let's please all go out and yeah, go dancing. Yeah, I was actually just talking about that with Chase, and we were like, man, those light-up shoes. I was like, I just want to go dancing with Andrew. <laughs> That's all I want. Oh, my gosh. I know. That's all, That's all I, I want. Um, and it's funny that you're like that person that kind of always is like uh, – losing their mind on the dance floor because that was me for a long time and I used to always go to all my friends shows before I had any music of my own I was kind of in the creative process of like starting to write songs but I wasn't at the place where I was like booking shows yet so I'd go to all my friends shows and they were just like it's that crazy cuckoo again on the dance floor like it's like a, it was like a folk set and they're like why is she dancing like a stripper I'm very confused <laughs> like is she even wearing clothes like what are are those shorts is that what they are um so i just kind of got a reputation for like this wild and crazy dancer girl for years mm -hmm. and then eventually i came out with you know my own music and people were like oh like you're you're actually pretty smart <laughs> didn't see that coming um but yeah, you yeah. Got a, you've got a brain in that amazing yeah. dance body <laughs> yeah and uh so i i know that position well and i actually love it and so now when I'm on stage, I'm like, oh, my God, Andrew is kind of like me because I see you and it like amps me up. And that's what my friends used to say. They're like, man, when, you don't, when you're not at our shows, like it, there, the there's absence. a void. The void <laughs> yeah. is, is there. 
The void is real. The void is real. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Yeah, it's I, I can't. I really, honestly, talking about it right now. I, I that is like day one when this is all over. Lord knows when that will be. Um, and as they say, it won't be a light switch when things get back to normal, but it'll be the new normal for a while. Um, yeah. But when it's safe and legal to go dancing again. <laughs> uh, maybe we should organize that. a Zoom dance party or something. You I need to watch Footloose as the next one. Just be like, dancing's illegal. Oh, my goodness. That is actually really a great idea. I told you I'm a smart person. <laughs> you are. You're the super smart. Person. You're super you're the smartest human being ever. I'm the smartest ever. human ever. <laughs> Everyone comes to you for counsel. Everyone knows included. that. It's common knowledge. It's just woven into the fabric of our DNA now that you are <laughs> the smartest woman alive. I was like, I have ideas. Person alive. Like footloose. Like, um, <laughs> you know, more other ideas as well. Footloose the podcast. <laughs> Experience footloose in audio form. <laughs> And it's like, you just have to trust that we're dancing, but you can't hear. You exactly. Hear, like, the shuffling of <laughs> The irony is I've never seen Footloose, but I know about it because I'm smart. Doi. <laughs> that would be so fun. That's a good time. Totally good. Um, so, yeah, in, uh, in terms of your chronology, you said that you kind of had to feel your way into it for a while. When did you start, when did you start getting, like, real serious? Like, okay, oh. I really want to really do this. I really want to take a, a good college try at this and uh, give it my give it my all here yeah well first I, stuff. first I actually did go to college um, okay and I studied theater <laughs> I was a thespian. Ah, thespian my background is in acting you'd never guess that makes total sense um, that makes total sense <laughs> but yeah so I, I went to USC I studied theater that's why I came to Los Angeles and um, my last uh, my last summer in college, between my junior and senior year, um, I did not want to go back to Utah because it was boring. And I was like, <laughs> I, I was like, I want to stay in LA somehow, but I didn't have any uh, money or a job or a place to stay. And I'm kind of a procrastinator, so it was like the last two weeks of the semester, and I was like, oh. Ramalama ding dong. I should have thought this out. <laughs> but um so I just started looking on Well, you had like you had tests and finals and I remember being at the end too and people were like, "What are you going to do next?" And I'm like, "I'm just trying to get through with like a decent GPA here, people." Yeah. Can we can we yeah. talk about this later? Yeah, I I like I was so irresponsible during college. Like the idea of like opening mail stressed me out. I was like, "What if it's a bill?" Like I just I could not get my <laughs> I could not get my crap together. Um, so I just started looking on Craigslist and I found an ad for, um, a live-in assistant for a music producer and, um, he was like, yo, you can just have a room in my apartment and I'll pay for your food and you just help me with all of my scheduling, with my sessions and this and that. And I was like, that sounds like a really cool job and it kind of like ticks off two boxes at once, you know, like I have a job and a place to stay. Uh, so I went to go meet. Oh, yeah. yeah, I went to go meet with him, and um, luckily, I don't really know why. Uh, my mom's a bit of a jet setter, so she's kind of always in and out. Sometimes, you know, she she comes to LA every few weeks, few months, and she was in town, 
And she was like, well, I want to meet this guy, too, because everyone was like, he's going to rape you for sure. Like, what are you thinking? Like, you found this ad on Craigslist of someone's like, come live in my house. You'll be my sex slave. I mean, assistant. Um, so <laughs> this was pre uh, this was like pre the Me Too. Way pre Me Too. This uh, is this is like two, this is like 2007, you know? Oh, wow, so, yeah. yeah, so uh, my mom came and met him with me, and he's just like a total stand-up guy. The, um, his name is Joshua Rumor, and we just became best friends, and my mom gave me her blessing. She was like, yeah, sure, you know, stay with him for the summer. So during that time, um, I just helped him out, learned a little bit about music production and, and, and organizing and booking shows. Um, and I was also writing like funny little poems and ditties at the time. And he heard one of them and he was like, yo, that's actually pretty good. We should try to make some songs together. So he would just put me on the microphone and record me to a click. And then he would compose an entire song off of what I, you know, because I, I wrote these songs in my head, but I didn't have any music to go with them. So then he would, uh, he'd make songs. Did he help with the, the riffs and the licks? Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly, with all the riffs and the licks. And uh, that's how I started getting into music. And um, it started off kind of being like jazzy songs. I, I wrote a, a rock song. And then one day I was like, man, I kind of want to try to write a rap song. Because um, I just, I, I've i always loved hip hop and rap. And, you know, I, I wasn't like a, a huge connoisseur at this point. But I listened to it a lot with my older brother growing up. And so I... Um, I, I wrote this rap song called Royal Flush, and uh, I just started, like, performing it. Not even performing it, but just, like, you know, spitting it freestyle. Not freestyling, because I wrote it, but you get the idea. I started rapping it for people at parties, because I'd get drunk, and I'd be like, hey, guys, I wrote a rap song, and they'd be like, you idiot. <laughs> All right, let's hear it. And people really liked it. And so I kind of started noticing that like I was getting a lot more attention and I hate to say that <laughs> like it sounds I sound like such a crazy narcissist but it's like I was getting more attention for doing my rap well you were uh, you were resonating you were connecting yeah with your and um, it because as an actor although you know I knew that I was a talented actor and I knew that I could could perform well and I did really well in college and and you know, I did well in all of my scenes and everything, but you can't really prove that to someone while you're out and about and socializing. And I just always kind of felt really embarrassed to tell people I was an actor because they were like, oh, who's your agent? What have you been in? And I was like, nothing. I've been in college and I don't know anybody in Los Angeles. So, huh. Um, but when I told people that uh, I rapped, they would be like, oh, no, you don't. You're a dummy. And I'd be like, no, I do. And uh, <laughs> and then I could just rap for them. And they'd be like, oh, man, you really do. So it was kind of just this way to validate myself and like be able to prove that I wasn't just like some delusional buffoon that thought they could do something and really did not. So um I kind of started putting more attention into music at that point than 
than acting, um, but still didn't really fully um, invest in it in terms of like an actual business because I was just kind of clueless. I, I had learned a lot from Joshua, um, the music producer I lived with, but it it is it's it's overwhelming and i and it's the same thing for acting for people that just come out here from places like utah and you're like i don't even know how to get started i don't know what to do like what's the best approach so eventually you know years and years down the line i've been rapping for like probably seven eight years at this point and also there just wasn't you know at the time that I started rapping, there wasn't any white girl rappers on the mainstream. There was barely any female rappers in mainstream. But I just kept doing it for fun. I'd make little songs. I'd do little shows. But um, eventually, I started working with a good friend of mine, Andy Clockwise, who is a brilliant musician and producer and everything. And uh, he was like, what are you doing with your music, Farah? Because I love everything you do. I love hearing your songs, but like, when's the new material coming out? Like, when are you doing your next show? And I I was like, Andy, I don't have any more money to put into production because it, you know, it's like a little short film, you know, every time you make a song and you usually, you have to hire people to help you produce or mix and, and there's expenses that come along with it unless you're, you know, just... A solo musician and you do everything yourself so I didn't have any money to put it into it and he was like well would you be willing to help me out with administrative work and I will teach you the basics of production and kind of show you how I've made it in the music industry because he's from Australia and he's only been a musician his whole life he came to LA um, having done pretty well in Australia and has always supported himself solely on music. So he's like, I can kind of take you under my wing and show show you a few things if you help me out. And I was like, this is great because I've already kind of done this before. That's how I got into music in the first place, working with Josh. Um, so yeah, I would be totally down to be a, your administrative assistant. And so he like I said, took me under his wing, taught me how to use logic, taught me how to uh, make a beat, taught me how to record my own vocals, like how to self-promote, and then also would help me produce my songs as well. So I would like come to him with ideas. Sometimes it was a full song where I made a beat and all the lyrics. Sometimes I just come with lyrics and he would make the beat. Um, but he kind of helped me take things to the next level. And that was probably like, oh, three or four years ago. And then really now I've been pushing, 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 and trying to build up momentum, and it takes a while, but I mean, it's a hard question to ask, because I've been, I've been doing this for so long, and I feel like now I'm just barely, like, actually doing it, <laughs> where I'm like... Oh, I know that feeling. I know that feeling 100%. Yeah, and it is a long journey, and that's why I really, this show, it's, we'll, we'll take a deep dive into Groundhog Day soon, but it's more about a journey, and hearing a journey of somebody in the showbiz world, and it's a it's a scary tumultuous world and it says a lot of ups and downs, lefts and rights. Yeah. And so it's good to hear that you were able to to reach out to people that were fellow writers and mentors that were able to. This Andy guy really sounds like he was a, a strong mentor for you. And we all need him. We all need mentors. And nothing of great merit happens alone. Oh and yeah. It's it's just a collaborative world and in you know, I'm more on the film side of the coin. But uh, I'm really, really pumped to have you talking about music and, and, and music videos. 
and 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 I just uh, it's the same, you know. There's and, a lot of similarities, I think, um, between filmmaking and making uh, a song because eventually, with most songs, you do attach it with visuals, and I come up with the concepts for my visuals. I usually produce them. Sometimes I direct them. I'm kind of doing everything, you know. I'm writing the script. I'm like the script is the song, you know. So there mm-hmm. there are a lot of similarities um, between them. I think for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's just it's art, yeah. and and every time you do it, it's just a little bit different. Sure, you might have your you might start to be building up your kind of your rhythm of how you approach it, your your style, and that's all part of it. But every every new thing is a new venture, and um, I love what you said earlier about things coming at you left and right, and the world is a constantly rapidly moving ocean that we're in. Yeah, and you have to be able to, and like this quarantine, for example, nobody. Nobody could have called this. Uh, I certainly had no clue. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, this is our kind of daily tapestry of our, our, our lives has been rearranged and, and rewoven. And that's that's even affecting how we approach our art. And yeah, uh, you said you have a quarantine love song. Do you want to do you want to talk about that for a little bit to touch um, on the quarantine a little? Yeah, totally. I just um, so as I was saying, Andy kind of taught me how to to produce songs on my own. Um, uh, I'm not a talented musician. I'm not a musician at all, really. I'm a lyricist, but I can certainly, um, you know, I have a good ear for things and and the way that production software is now, it, you don't have to be a musician per se to be able to produce um, music, which I know real musicians are kind of bummed out about that because they're like, hey, um, but it's great for people. Well, like first me. off, first off, I, I think I disagree. I think you are a musician. I am a musician. I, I know what you're, I know what you're I saying. But... I don't play any instruments. So, um, but uh, there's really cool, you know, there, there's, there's just cool websites like Splice. Um, shout out to Splice. If, if anyone wants to make music or just wants to do anything, I guess that would be my like artist takeaway is just throw yourself into it and try it like just put it out there it doesn't have to be perfection and so that's kind of where I went with quarantine love song um a lot of the songs on my album almost all of them I produced the beats but then I would go to Andy and he would add in live instrumentation and you know mix it and make it sound really good and polished but this one, I was like, I just want to write a really simple, fun song. Um, it helps me feel better. It's kind of like, you know, therapy for me to write and create. So I just went on Splice. And um, Splice.com is a really cool tool for musicians or people that want to just make songs because they have millions of samples. And that could be any anything from a one hit, would just which would just be like a snare being like, boom you know or you know they have whole loops of of melodies so if you don't know how to play an instrument you can look up like baseline licks and they'll give you thousands and thousands of choices and then you can start to make a song with these little puzzle pieces of sounds that you download then you can add in your own sounds so yeah i just i just started doing that just like how i produce all my songs and wrote just a really really simple simple song a simple love song I didn't really overthink the lyrics a lot of times I like to be really really like deep and poignant and this time I was like I just want something to be kind of relatable that some that anybody going through this can kind of tap into 
and uh, I got a really, really good response from it online. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to mix this up and put it out. And it's definitely not as polished as some of the music that I've put out. But ultimately, you know, like I said, you can predict what people are going to like. And sometimes you're like, oh, this is this is like a real masterpiece. And people are like, meh. <laughs> and then you like work on a song yeah. in your bedroom for two days and they're like, I love it. <laughs> So yeah, that's where you got to roll no, I think with the punches. You, uh, yeah, totally. I mean, I think what you said with like art resonating or not, and it doesn't always connect right away. It could still be a masterpiece. I mean, a lot of a lot of the big songs and movies um, weren't didn't have a great opening weekend, um, but they ended up through time. People are like, this actually is quite brilliant. But I think there is a brilliance in connecting with the everyman, with engaging. The, the things that we all go through mm-hmm. and and I, I think that is a is a power that you have and I I've definitely noticed so yeah and it's so like keep just, it up. it's kind of I think taking your ego out of it too because I'm the kind of I'm a planner and plotter and sometimes it's like listen I, that is good and that's what I was saying before is finding that fine line between like strategy and and just completely flying by the seat of your pants because without any strategy you know, you're going to be aimless, but without being able to be adapt, adaptable, then, you know, you're kind of just on your own journey and not really paying attention to the reaction of the outside world. So I'm just trying to do that, you know. <laughs> I love it. I, I, that's why I, I, like, I loved when you said that earlier and definitely want to take that with me. George um, George R. R. Martin, who wrote Game of Thrones, he actually, so I was, not to tangent off that but too much, but I remember I was so humbled and blown away by his work, and I was like, the guy must think it all out, and he must just have it all drawn mm-hmm. all over his apartment or his house, just <laughs> the, the, the weaving of the, the families of the houses. And, <laughs> One and of those was, FBI yeah. movies with, like, pictures <laughs> yeah. and strings attached. <laughs> exactly. And I was almost kind of um, sad that I, I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to do anything as powerful and as well thought out as this in my life. And it kind of, it kind of was humbling and, and I kind of was sad. And then I, I saw a really good YouTube video, a really cool YouTube video with him. And he's like, there's two kinds of writers, gardeners and architects. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, he's going to say he's all an architect. He's like the gardener, you, you dig, you plant a seed, you water it, you feel it out. You let it breathe. Architects, they, you know, they're building bridges, they're building houses and they're all just plotting and planning. Just like you said. And he's like, and I was like getting ready for him to be like, I am, 100% architect and I understand gardeners and all but and he was like I actually think I'm more of a gardener um, wow. definitely somewhere in the middle and you know if you know everything before you go to say it as an artist if it's already all all drawn out if every loose end is already found if every discovery is already made before you even put pen to paper or, or what you know voice to mic yeah. in your case uh, then where's the fun where's the fun in that where's the journey in the growth and the learning. So honestly, that YouTube video um, interview with George Martin really, really hit me. And what you just said totally echoed that very much. And uh, so thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. And thank you. That, that, that's, I think that's true with everyone. Is I think the sign of a good artist is like you're going to doubt yourself and question yourself all the time. Like if you just think that you've got it all figured out, then you're probably terrible. You're probably, <laughs> you're probably not a good artist. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's times where I'm like, man, I don't, uh, sorry, I'm just, uh, pouring myself a little wine. That's what that sound is. Anywho, um, they're like, oh, please, please, please yeah. do so. It's quarantine, you know? 
So, uh, yeah. yeah, there's this thing where you're like, I- I'm never going to be able to do this. And, and, and kind of that, not just defeatist, but like maybe self-deprecating thing where you always look up to other artists like there's some sort of God. And like, how could I ever imagine getting to that level and and I do look at artists that way and then I realized I was like they're just kind of trying to figure it out as well and I'm the kind of person that I like to have everything all planned and 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 plotted and figured out in terms of um music like I don't like to freestyle for instance people are always like oh yeah give me one of those freestyle raps I was like I don't do that like I I write and memorize everything that I that I perform. Um, it does have like, you know, kind of improvisational qualities cause you never, it, it's, it's different every time, but there isn't part of me that wants to a feel some sense of control. Um, but now I'm finding this, this like kind of in between, of feeling like I have control and also that I can just let go a little bit and I don't have to be so worried of if everything is perfect and I think that's where my art has really elevated because nobody wants just some some boring ass shit that's like too plotted and planned out there's got to be some human elements to it and I think you see that in Game of Thrones where you know there's things that we could have never predicted because he probably didn't even predict it he was like oh and then this happens (laughs) it's like what yeah (laughs) Like, I don't think you could have figured that all out ahead of time. He was just kind of rolling with the punches. Yeah, I agree. I know, and I'm really glad you you tied it back to game because, again, yeah, I was starting to feel really, like, almost ready to kind of surrender as an artist. And I thought, man, I'll never be like this guy. He can just, he's 40 steps ahead. But, yeah, when really hearing him say that he's more of a gardener, you know, more of the organic approach, like you're saying, what what's resonating? What, like, give it a minute, let it breathe, uh, how how are people responding to it? Totally. Um, what's reaching out? To, what's kind of beckoning? Um, so that and that's that's really how I ask my guests to also choose their movie that that we that we um, dive into and, yeah. and riff on and ex- and explore. Uh, is there something that inspired you? A movie that kind of inspired you, or maybe something that's beckoning to you now, or both? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's usually it's usually again a combination therein. Um, so I'm really pumped that we landed on Groundhog Day, which is yeah. one of my favorite favorite movies, and um, it's so rich. And we're gonna watch it again here in a little bit. But to kind of tie in, there's there's a guy here who's living the same day over and over again, mm-hmm. and obviously there's the metaphor and the existential allegorical motifs going on that are at play here. But yeah, like we don't have the answers. We just gotta try to make do mm-hmm. with the best. And here we have a day over and over and over again. And we'll talk about it more later, but he eventually changes and becomes a better person, kind of more narcissistic, self-centered, egotistical to his arc is from that to about helping the community, helping others, yeah. being and being the best person in that society, in that community he can. And once he starts using the time to better himself in the film, uh, it's really powerful. And this movie obviously isn't isn't gonna go away for good reason it's 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 27 years old it's almost 30 years old now yeah uh they filmed it 28 years ago and uh it's one of those movies that you know you might see it on its surface level and just enjoy it for a really funny amazing movie which it is it's hilarious it's a good rom-com it's Mm -hmm. it's got so many things i think it's a perfect movie i loved it i haven't i hadn't seen it since i was a kid so when i picked it it was 
you know, kind of just because we had talked about things that are relatable right now. And the first thing that came to mind and kind of the only thing that came to mind, I was like, it's Groundhog Day. Like, that's kind of how I feel that we all feel right now, you know? Yeah. And I was like, Definitely. I haven't, I haven't Absolutely. seen it in a really long time. So it's going to be kind of fun because it's a new experience. Uh, And I think it was just one of those movies that was always on TV that everyone has seen like little bits and pieces of and maybe we don't watch from start to finish all the time. Uh, So having not really seen it since I was probably like, you know, eight or nine years old and then rewatching it, I was like, damn, this is deep. And I'm glad I'm glad that that's what we ended up uh, settling on. We, we, there were some other films, just to kind of mention some other ones that were in the, the pack. Uh, Farrah had mentioned Chicago, mm-hmm. which definitely the tie-in with the, uh, with the music side. Uh, and I'm, I'm also a huge fan of that movie, and uh, it's brilliantly orchestrated. I've never seen the, the play of the Broadway show, but uh, I, I do love that movie, and it's one of my mom's favorites, so we end up watching it around the holidays. And I became obsessed with lyrics uh, very, very young. Uh, that's one thing that kind of when when I came back and start, became a lyricist as an adult, I was like, well, it makes perfect sense because I have been memorizing the lyrics to songs since I was a little kid. Like it, and and I remember my family always thought it was so impressive and like Farrah knows all the words to like almost every song. It's crazy. So I bought that CD at the play when I saw it, and uh, yeah, just learned all the lyrics, and I just thought it was so clever. Like, and, and so well written that if I were to think of a song that, re- I mean, a song, a, a movie that really kind of inspired me to, to do what I'm doing today, I think it would be that. Um, yeah, Because it totally. was it's just so smart and so funny and so many layers going on. Like, you can listen to that soundtrack hundreds of times and still hear something new. Absolutely. I, I, we're going to have to have you back on and we'll, we'll, we'll have to do a, another deep dive into Chicago. But yeah, so I think Groundhog Day was a combination of something that inspired you from your past, that mm-hmm. really struck you from your past. Uh, like you said, it was just kind of... struck a it's, chord. It does, it's a, yeah, it does that. It sticks in your brain, and you find yourself thinking about it. And obviously, Groundhog Day, so when it's actually Groundhog Day, I don't think you can actually separate the movie from the holiday anymore, and that's uh-huh. brilliant, brilliant, brilliant on their part. Because it's kind of a holiday, it's, it's kind of a minor holiday. Yeah, it's like, I guess it, maybe it... it I don't even really remember the holiday that much before the movie came out. You know, I know. Like, obviously I, I know it was something in school maybe, but that like just like sh- shone a light on that that crappy ass holiday. <laughs> and so now it's really <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's it's uh, yeah, you can't really unweave. Oh, you and I are similar similar age. I think I'm a little little older than you are, but... Uh, I'm 21. Just joking. I'm not. You are 21. I am 22. I was so, like, I was in um, college in 1992. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Yeah. Doesn't matter. Yeah, so I think it's, it's hard to unweave the holiday from the, uh, from the movie, but... Uh, not that we'd want to, but also it's like, oh, great, happy Groundhog Day. Here we are in school, so this can't be that great of a holiday because we're here. Exactly. Um, again. <laughs> and I feel like I remember school felt like Groundhog Day where it was like... Sure, I don't know. I don't know how your periods work, but ours would kind of rotate around. Mm-hmm. But it was more or less the same day over and over again. But obviously, the existential, the existential um, spiritual symbolism is definitely super powerful, and that what gives this movie such strong longevity and why it will be a classic forever. Yeah. And, well, shall we? Uh, shall we take a quick hiatus to watch the 1993 comedy starring Bill Murray, directed by Harold Ramis? 
I think we shall. Groundhog Day? Me thinks we shall. <laughs> Is that Gollum? Watch it. Oh, um, I didn't mean for it to be, but I guess it just creeps in. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> no, actually, that was another one of our movies that we talked about. Like, let's do the whole Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that like, was another one. I, my list was so yeah. eclectic. I was like, Willow! Lord of the Rings. It's like Last of the Mohicans, Greece. Actually, I don't think I told you Greece, but that was one of them. And then I was like, Clue, I, Roger Rabbit, or Groundhog. Yeah. No, like, it's what? hard. I actually, when I first started doing the show, I was like, Oh, you you completely picked the movie guest. Um, and then they're like, Oh. And I thought that would be like liberating, but it's actually kind of daunting. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you can pick any movie, so. Uh, and then it's become more of a process of like kind of chucking out some ideas and we, we talk and we think about it. And, uh, I really think this movie probably has a lot to do with right now, although I believe that the existential messages apply to non-quarantine life as well. Exactly. But they're just super highlighted mm-hmm. in quarantine life. Yeah. All right, without further ado, let's watch Groundhog Day. Huzzah! All right, Farah. Shay and I have just watched the 1993 comedy existential. I don't know. It's like calling it just a comedy doesn't actually. It's that's totally what I that's what I you know loved about it is yeah. First of all, I don't like really rom coms. I hate rom coms as a as a general rule, which is I know not very common for a female. But I just I'm like. The predictability of it, it just, it, it ruins it for me. I'm like, yeah, I get it. They're going to end up together. Like, <laughs> but this right. one is like, it's, it's, it's like, there's an a- action element, you know, he's in like, <laughs> rides his car off the ravine and like crashes into things and there's comedy and there's like tragedy and there's romance. It's like a Shakespearean play. Wow. I love that. Yeah. Kind of like a... Yeah, so it's kind of science fiction fantasy. You mm-hmm. look it up on IMDb, it says comedy fantasy. Um, and I guess there was some push-pull as to how dark and weird it was going to get. Yeah. Um, but it's really just a genius mechanism of the time loop. Yeah. Um, you know, he's stuck He's stuck in Groundhog Day. Every day is Groundhog Day. And um, I just found out by watching the making of that apparently the original script... Uh, from Danny Rubin, who, you know, Bill Murray says he was touched from God when he wrote the script. Danny Rubin, mm-hmm. uh, who co-wrote, he wrote the original draft, and then Harold Ramis, the director, came in and did some rewrites. And apparently Bill Murray wanted it to go way darker and more into the kind of existential loneliness of it. But I actually feel that it does encapsulate all those elements. I and like you said, when he drives off the cliff. plenty and, enough. That's kind of like the middle part of the film where you're like where is this yeah. where you even kind of feel existential like where is this going like who am i what am i what, what am i yeah. watching like he you know he kills himself a bunch of times he's lonely yeah. and there's just like this like listlessness and just you know pointlessness that i think we all feel in life from time to time like what is what is the meaning of this all so right totally and I, and, I couldn't agree with you more. And then, and then the 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 homeless man that he keeps on calling father, and I'm like, is that his dad? Like, I looked at Chase. I was like, did I miss something? Is that his real dad? And he's like, no, he's just calling him dad. I was like, hmm, it's a weird thing. Yeah. To do. <laughs> no, I'm so glad you brought that up because 
I, I've seen this movie a lot, and it has been a couple of years. And just now when we watched it, I was like, he's like, come on, pop, come on, pop. And he's like trying to save him. Yeah. And there's that element of him trying to meddle. And for the most part, he, like you said, he goes through the phases, denial. I actually wrote it all down. Like he goes through multiple phases. Uh, it starts off with he's entitled, he's needy. He's the prima donna. Chris Elliott, the camera guy, calls him the prima donna. Yeah. He's really egocentrical. He he feels like everyone he's associating with is uh, less than him. him. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like going to walk on. He's like, I'm going to be big time. Um, and so he goes in. And I actually meant to finish this earlier, say this earlier. But Danny Rubin actually, and Harold Ramis really liked this, but Danny Rubin's original script, it starts in the middle of the time loop. There's no like beginning. Oh. And it was one of the, it was one of the supervising producers who suggested – we, uh, I think the audience might need to kind of have the beginning versus the time loop, so there is that contrast. That was um, a great addition because I don't feel like the movie would resonate or or really make as much sense without it. Yeah, I totally agree. So that was actually, I just saw an interview with um, Harold Ramis, R.I.P. Um, he left us six years ago already. It's already been six years. He would have been seventy-five years old. He was sixty-nine when he passed. So it's really. Kind of sad, but um, he's such a great guy, and his legacy is secure, and this is one of his many notches on his belt. Many, many notches on his belt. Mm-hmm. But he like was like, I love that we jumped in in the middle, and there's always like, let's just go right into the middle. Let's go in the middle. You want to hook the audience. So there's sometimes that, that I'm sure the original script was powerful and great, but I agree with you. I, it, would, it wouldn't have the same contrast of him like, the opening, and then he wakes up in Groundhog Day, and then it's Groundhog Day again. He's like, all right. And there's kind of uh, – so he starts off as basically very arrogant, uh, self-involved, egocentric. And then this, the second phase is shock and disbelief. Yes. Uh, and that's a lot of fun, and the, the comedy is obviously there. And Bill Murray, I mean, what a perfect <laughs> casting to play that kind of arrogant jerk, you know? Yes, yes. And, and, and I just like – <laughs> When when that poor man that comes and greets him every morning, <laughs> when yeah. he like pushes him up against the wall and he's like, stop with the act pork chop or whatever he says. Yeah. His name is Ken Hudson Campbell. He's credited as man in hallway. Ken Hudson Campbell. I love that part. I always know him from... Uh... From Home Alone, he plays like the fake uh, Santa. Yeah, and he like gives them he gives them the Tic Tacs. That actor. So many good character actors in this movie. Like the the so o- many. the owner of the uh, the bed and breakfast. She's just like such a sweet, clueless old. Oh yeah, Mrs. Lancaster is her name in the movie. Yeah, she's great. Uh, you see her in all kinds of movies. Um, she's so funny. You see her in like uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. She's on the the plane in the beginning with with John Candy. So many movies between, like, the mid-80s yeah. and mid-90s. She's just, like, the quintessential grandma. Yeah, her name's Angela Patton. Angela Patton. Uh, Mrs. Lancaster. Yeah, she's so funny. And you know what? I actually, this this time through, I caught Lancaster is Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Mm. And it's called, like, the Pennsylvania Hotel. And there's a whole, like, Pennsylvania energy going on. Obviously, Punxsutawney. Uh, Altoona. You know, with, where it's hit. Right, right. So calling her Mrs. Lancaster kind of gave her this, like, she kind of represents the everyman yeah. of Pennsylvania, you know. Anyway, that was just something I grabbed this time. But, yeah, so calling this time loop, and then at first it's shock and disbelief, and then and then he moves into, um, he realizes he can get away with whatever he wants, but he comes at it from still a very selfish 
juvenile. Right. Yeah, and he's like, what ladies can I hook up with? Like, I'll learn their story so that on the next loop I can come off like I know them, and then they're going to sleep with me. And and, uh, and, and he, it makes he sense. literally though, robs. Oh, sorry. I was like, it makes sense, though, because who can blame him? Like, he was living out all of our fantasies when he, like, <laughs> when he crashes into the... <laughs> When he's hanging out with the local drunks, and then he crashes into like the 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 little post drop, and he's just like giving his takeout order to the police. Everyone's like, "Yeah, <laughs> like I want to do yeah. that." You know, I think that would be the the natural first reaction. Yeah, exactly. Like he realizes he can get away with it because the day's just gonna keep resetting. Yeah, and then he's so, gonna so... he's gonna bang every hottie in town. <laughs> right, right, right. And then he starts to uh, – obviously, he, he's – like you said, it is a rom-com. Um, it's definitely less of a traditional rom-com than – you know, this is obviously the time loop, time bender. There's this kind of sci-fi fantasy element of him being stuck in this time loop. But then he, he realizes he can use his power to kind of get with Andy McDowell, uh, Rita, who's the love interest. She's the producer. Yeah. I also – I like that he's a weatherman, and I feel like that kind of – the. Yeah, the significance of him being the weatherman kind of goes into the motif of the weatherman. The weatherman, weather people predict, right? They're predicting the future. But so it's like this great kind of built-in hook where a guy that's used to predicting is now stuck in the now. So that motif of like the future and then the, the time loop. Exactly. The future never happening. He feels all powerful brilliant. and now he's powerless. Yeah, right, right. So it's like great fish out of water, like a guy who can predict the future. I mean, obviously, weathermen, they're like, oh, it's great. You can do your job and no one gives you any grief for not being right because it's a percentage. Like, oh, it's supposed to storm tomorrow and the storm never comes. It's like, well, no one's going to be mad at a weatherman. Yeah. But they are They are kind of these future tellers, right? Um, and then also his name being Phil uh, and then the groundhog. Being Phil name, as well. The groundhog's... Yeah, so, I mean, I think that's probably a little more, like, on-the-nose motif connection there, but just the allegory that and he's... And Pennsylvania, like, Philadelphia, like like you said, there's a lot, there's a lot of Pennsylvania motif going on. Well, yeah, and the small town, and it's funny, you were saying with Salt Lake, um, and I'm sure you have a, it has a soft place in your heart, mm -hmm. a special place in your heart, but I think at the end of the day, you knew that if you were, as Farah, if Farah was going to spread her wings and pursue the arts that this probably wasn't the place to do it. Yeah. So I feel like there was that parallel with what you said about Salt Lake with he he's like, Oh, I don't want to spend another second in this damn town than I that the I people are so nice to. and so quaint. And that is true with Utah too. Like I feel like the people in Utah, anybody that's ever been there, are the nicest, like almost eerily nice people you'll ever meet. And <laughs> it's it like, reminds like what do you want from me? Why are you being so nice to me? It reminds an me agenda. a lot of of this film. Yeah. Totally. So it's like Phil, he's the groundhog, you know, will he see his shadow? Will he have the the winner kind of is the the metaphor for that eternal like will he be stuck in winter forever, literally the day of groundhog. <laughs> I love when day. he gets like all all like check off with it. Yeah. What does winter even mean? The solstice right. of our soul shall continue on. What is the point? And they're <laughs> behind the camera like Right. Um great. This movie, I think this movie is so deep and it's one of those movies that I, now that we're really diving deep and I've got my notebook out when I watch mm -hmm. it, you know, cause we're doing a podcast and want to come off like I, like I know stuff. So it's like, I didn't always have my notebook out before I'm just watching the movie. And I feel like as a kid, I started to kind of grasp some of these philosophical components, but now it's like, and it's still just as hilarious. It plays right into the comedy, just like you said. And still to this day. Yeah. So funny. Perfectly yeah. funny. 
hilarious. But you think it would get boring, but it never does. Like, honestly, I'm just like, what is he going to do this time? I know. Yeah, it's it doesn't get old. Doesn't. Which is a tough yeah, thing. And, and 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 you know something that really resonated with me, um, having a background in acting, I was like, damn, the um the other like supporting actors, how hard is it for them to deliver those lines the exact same way and get different reactions and like try to have some things almost like the way that they say it. You can tell, obviously, it's a different setup and he's giving them, he, he's feeding them different lines, but it's almost identical, which is really impressive. I know. I don't know how, I'm really glad you, uh, how they did really it. I'm really glad you brought that up because, yeah, I just watched the making of and they they basically, and you think about it from a filmmaking standpoint, if you're going to shoot the same scene again, but it's the same day, you've got to really do it all together because yep. that's the only way to get that. And I, I, I thought about that too, because just say like, okay, we're going to, um, it's the part where Bill Murray runs into... Stephen Tobolowski, who plays Ned, Ned. Ryerson. Needle Nose Ned. Ned the Head. Needle Nose Ned. Yeah, so that obviously so iconic. That's what, uh, that, that was the first time it hit me. Part. I was like, man, he's he's on it. Like, he's giving the exact same yeah. energy. Right. Because if, if that isn't communicated via the film, that it's the same day, the same moment in time over and over again, then it, it loses its, validity, its validity. validity. Like, validity. Diddity. It loses its... <laughs> validation it's validation this isms it's gone <laughs> so you know they had to do it on the same day basically because uh, if there was like they had to have the same background actors they had to have the same cars in the background more or less the same weather obviously the clouds are always changing if you're on a film set you're always like chasing the clouds and chasing the daylight and but a lot of that can be kind of with grips and electric they can do their their magic with the lighting and make it seem more or less similar but they literally had to batch capture that and they would just do it over and over again. And I think without that approach, I don't think it would have had that same, like this really is the same day over and over. So and they over. did all the shots with, with needle nose Ned on the same day. Yeah. I, it might've been a couple of days. Cause you think pretty about, much they uh, did that in a block. Yeah. That's brilliant. That's so smart. Yeah. And from a production standpoint, you pretty much have to do it that way. Cause it's like, we have the same and you literally have the same background. Like, and this is a movie where, yeah, if it's different background actors, like walking into the store behind Bill and, and Steve doing their scene, like that's a thing that people catch. Like people are smart. You yeah. Know? People notice things like that, especially in a movie about a time loop. So this, you have to capture, like, again, like you have to capture that this is the same day over and over again. Otherwise it doesn't work. Obviously I didn't even really think about it that way, but just from a budget standpoint, you know, you have your actors for a certain amount of days and you're like, we're just going to get you all done in a couple of days and bada bing, bada boom. This film for about three months. And they started in the winter uh, and they moved into the spring. They said it was so cold. And uh, that cold really communicates, especially when they're doing the Punxsutawney scenes and the the Groundhog Day, the morning. And the snowman scenes. I was like, who the hell? How drunk are they? Like, (laughs) I'm such a I'm such a pussy from being in Los Angeles. I was like, I would not be enjoying myself on this date. (laughs) I'd be pissed. I know. Like, let's go. No, the actors were saying it's so cold. It was so cold. But it actually, I think, they, and they meant, and Harold Ramis said this in the making of, he said that as they went on, it got warmer and warmer and warmer into the spring of the following year. And the character gets warmer and more opened up, and the dynamic is warmer and nicer. Mm, and, and you, a metaphor. Yeah, yeah. So you could even just feel the energy, like, physically on set of that happening, that transition, because of the weather. And yeah, it's, it's like, it's so cold, you, you can't even imagine acting in it and it probably helped with bill murray being more of a jerk uh and 
everyone kind of being a little tougher and rougher in the beginning of the movie and in the early phases. But this is an instance where his choices that he makes towards others uh, resonate back. So if he's mean, if he's mean, then Rita, Rita's going to be mean back. Uh, Larry, Chris Elliott as Larry is really, uh, really a fun part of the movie and he's third build and sure, you know, he's a a smaller part, but um, it's like, he'll be mean right back to you and he'll say some crappy thing to, you know, put Phil down because Phil is really being a prima donna. Phil really is being a jerk, you know, He really is. but like the moment where he brings him the coffee later and he brings him the donuts. I mean, all that's all it took. And he was so warm back. Right. Yeah. Or that moment that really struck me is when he's like, hey, you know, I never really talked to you. Like, do you have kids? I was like, how have you been working with someone for so long? I was like, man, that really spoke volumes. He is a jerk. Like, you don't even know if your if your yeah. cameraman has kids or not. <laughs> Such a base level knowledge of somebody. Yeah. And you have no idea. Right, right. Because you don't care. You're you're so wrapped up in one. And actually, uh, one of my favorite pieces is Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. Um, another oh, holiday another great centric. Bill Murray. Yeah, yeah, and there's been many, many great iterations. In fact, Bill Murray has played Scrooge in Scrooge. He's a great, Another lovable holiday. asshole. Like, that's his, yeah. that's really his sweet spot. Right. Yeah, totally. So you get that kind of same hook where he is a miser. He's not like a rich miser. It's not like the direct correlation, but uh, he still considers himself like he wants to climb the ladder higher, whereas Scrooge is more about the end of his life and, and opening up and realizing. But there's that magical, realistic component of the time loop in Groundhog Day that very much reminds me of the, the four spirits, Marley, and then past, present, and future that visit to kind of teach him. There's this lesson built into the kind of, call it fantasy, call it sci-fi, the, the time loop element, uh, which isn't explained, and I really like that they don't try to explain it. Yeah. Because I think that would deflate it and devalue it. Once you start asking too many questions, it just is happening to him. Exactly. But it's that lesson. I even it's said that, that with Chase. Him. I was like, so if he stays up all night, like what, you know, it's always just, and he's like, you just got to imagine no matter what, no matter what he does, he's going to pop up at 6 a.m. in his bed. And you're like, okay, don't ask any more yeah. questions. That's all it is. Put your little hand in mine. <laughs> Such a great song this- to start with. The Sonny and Cher. Yeah, and it's such a it's such a bubbly fun song. But then as as he moves into uh, what I call phase four of his of his transitions, anger, depression, and then eventually we touched on already suicidal, uh, the song becomes almost a mocking torment kind of juxt tormentive use of this beautiful, powerful song where a song that's very bubbly and fun and ultimately put your little hand in mine, like there is that kind of like Okay, like you said earlier, like maybe they're probably going to end up together at the end. But um, so he starts using his powers to kind of memorize this putt putt course that is Punxsutawney on ground. I love all day. that. Like, I, I love that uh, like association, the putt putt course. Like, yeah, that really came up. There's for only me. so I was many like, ways you can thing. play it. Yeah. And he knows when he knows, like, literally, like, a guy's going to drop his plates in, in, in four seconds, three, two. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's like he knows the timing, right, of everything. Um, but instead, of, in the early phase of the movie, he's still really using it for his own gain. Um, he's robbing. The, he takes literally steals money. Yeah. And you're um, like, to what end? What's the point of this? Like, <laughs> You could literally spend all right. the money you have. It's just pure Doesn't mischievousness. Matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah, and that I think that's why he goes into that real existential darkness uh, phase where, um, like we've touched on, and it is so memorable, the killing himself and killing himself. 
And we really, st- at first in the movie, we start to, we can pretty much count, like, okay, this is loop three, this is loop four. But then you realize that you've lost count. Yes. He's probably lost and count. And that's something that How I, long has this been going on for? I wondered, and, and you have to wonder by the end when he has things down to a second where he catches the little boy falling out of the tree who never apologizes, that little dickwad. Um... <laughs> But, but you never say thank you. But I'm like, he's like, what do you say? Uh, but I, I, I looked to Chase and I was like, has this been years? Like, has this been months? Right. I think he loses mm-hmm. count. And we're just by the end where he knows every single element. I'm like, there's no way this has been a month. This has been multiple months. This could, you know, we don't know how long, but I was like, are we to believe yeah. it's been years? It's been months. What are we dealing with here? Yeah, um, exactly. I just watched an interview with Harold, like I was saying before, and he was talking about Danny Rubin, who wrote the original brilliant script, and then they ended up adapting it slightly with, you know, Harold himself wrote uh, with with Danny Rubin. But Danny Rubin, I think, when he was asked by Harold how long it actually was, he was saying it could actually be like 10,000 years, something like astronomically crazy. Like, you're in this kind of... uh, And actually, it's funny... um, I knew it was definitely a little bit of the Nietzsche, but I looked it up, and Nietzsche's doctrine of eternal recurrence, eternal recurrence says that any probability and possibility will occur and has occurred and will occur again. Yes, exactly. So that we are um, in this thing for over and over again, and so it's actually like a philosophical principle of Nietzsche's where they are breathing life into all these different realities happening at the same time or simultaneously. Right, right. Exactly. And you get into the quantum realities. You get into quantum reality. Sorry about my mic there. Um, but then uh, Harold, when like really pressed, they're like, okay, Harold, how, how really long in your mind? Obviously, it's up to the viewer, up to the audience to kind of figure out. But how long do you really think it's been? And he's like, well, you know, how long does it take to get really good at something? Because Phil gets really good at a lot of things like ice sculpting and piano. Piano. And- I'm like, that's yeah. years. That's when he starts playing the piano like that. I was like, you don't play. <laughs> yeah. You don't do that. Yeah. So. Yeah. And he's like, it takes about 10 years to get really, really, really good at something. Um, uh, some people are obviously more proficient than others. And then he's like, if you take all the, how long he was in phase uh, two and three, where he's, yeah, and four, where he's, he's learning the day, but he's kind of jerking off too. He's like watching, he's like, really good at jeopardy and he's yeah. showing all the residents of his uh, bed and breakfast that he's the Rhone. uh yeah <laughs> they haven't yeah. even asked the question I know. yet they haven't asked the question yet yeah so he's kind of like showing off and there's probably a lot of just existential like dread and and fighting against the anger and depression i think is all like the him battling it and not succumbing to it so that probably went on for a while so Harold says 10 to 20 years he thinks he was in okay good because that's what I was thinking I was um, like this is years like there's no way that someone could learn yeah. all of this no way right right he's like this is your first lesson <laughs> piano lesson like yep <laughs> uh technically and he just starts uh, becoming this renaissance man which I love right yeah and that gets me to uh phase phase five part five embracing the day where he starts to not just using his power, not just using his superpower to show off or, or make money or for his own gain, when he starts to better himself, but better himself in respect to his community around him. And also knowing that he's not going to get any recognition for it because he acknowledges at one point, he's like, you know, when, when Andy McDowell does 
believe him that one time and and she's like okay you know i can tell this is really happening and he's like the worst part is i'm gonna wake up tomorrow and you're not gonna remember any of this and you're still gonna yeah. think i'm a jerk and i'm really glad you brought that up because then he starts chasing that that what, what made that moment perfect in the loop before snow angel moment or throwing the snowballs at the kids like you were saying uh once he starts chasing what made that perfect in a loop before it feels artificial and she picks that up she, she and it like slips away yeah right right and that's when he starts to slip into that deep depression uh, where he's kind of given up. And my God, the, the toaster and the, and the, and the <laughs> bathtub. It's so dark. It's so dark. Literally the coroner seeing his body and it's like, yep, that's him. I mean, that, he was a then, really like, nice Elliot, guy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Chris Elliott's like, yeah, he was so great. It's like <laughs> they hated each other. That's hilarious. I'm really glad you brought that up. But once he surrenders to this. And and then and then it's literally like Andy McDowell picks up on that while they're at, still at uh on the kind of last perfect day of the movie yeah. the last Groundhog Day. She's like, what's uh, going she's on? She's like, really? Yeah, she's like, he's great. I literally like this guy. I want to get. And he's like, hey, Larry. Uh, yeah, like you said, uh, you know, where you're from, where you're, you know, how you how many kids do you have? Or I don't know anything about you, Larry. And and then she's like, can I have? A, and of course, Andy McDowell then wants to wants to be with him or wants to like at least get a cu- cup of coffee with him. Yeah. But he's like, nope, sorry, babe. I got to go save. Uh, I got to go be Superman. Yeah, he's got his um, schedule. Yeah, he's got his schedule. And Harold Ramis actually said that in the making of, of this. I took the Superman line where he's like, he's just around the clock. Bro. You know, he, how many people has he got to save? He, he's got the kid falls out of the tree. He's got a he saves Brian Doyle Murray, his actual brother, not his brother in the movie, but um, the mayor. He's the mayor, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Brian Doyle Murray sets to save him from choking at the uh, at the restaurant concert later. Um, he, the old ladies, he gives them the car jack. He's yeah. a member of the automotive club or whatever they think. Yeah, exactly. And then he like li- she like lights the cigarette after he saves Brian Doyle Murray's life from uh, with the Heimlich maneuver. He's choking <laughs> on his food and uh, he's just once he gets self once he gets once he sheds that self centeredness and starts to be more. Like self actuating and self growing, not necessarily like just to show off or be better, <laughs> but to actually work on himself. And that's when really the the real change of the movie starts to, to happen. And it's funny because he kind of sees himself as like this uh like local celebrity in the beginning of the film, but people really don't recognize him that much. Like the people that do recognize him already knew him. Then he stops caring and just becoming a good person and then he actually is the celebrity that he always wanted to be simply because he was like what you know i'm i'm like forfeiting all all care and all worry about what's gonna happen and i'm just gonna try to be a good person yeah and that really resonates with what you were saying earlier about your music like Mm -hmm. at some point you just have to like like sure you have all these plans you have all these ideas and that's super important i'm not saying that isn't but at some point, you have to just connect, and you have to just do it, and you have to just, uh, like you were saying, you were at a party and you started rapping, and people were like, "What?" And then they were blown away because yeah. they didn't like, they didn't see it coming, and um, I think that's so powerful. Me too. Cool. So Me awesome. too. And that was kind of like what I thought most about the film after I saw it is that there's this like element of you have to just kind of give in to fate or destiny or 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 these larger than life forces that are beyond your control which we've spoke about with with the pandemic and and there's just things that you really can't predict or control so you have to realize that you're just like a small piece in the puzzle but also you have 
ultimate and unlimited power because the way that he treats people affects his reality so much. So, you know, you're kind of like, you're, you're a player in this play and you can't change the set, but you can change the way you say the lines, you can change your lines. So you have a little bit of power and that's kind of where I got, which was, I, I was thinking about when we were going to talk about this. I was like, I, I don't know if these are contradictory ideas that you have, like there is a destiny and fate that you can't control, but there's also elements of your life and your reality that you can. And, and I was like, but they, they do work together. And I think that's kind of how life is. That's so well said, Farrell. I love that. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I just pretty much said once he was done manipulating others and just working on himself and what he could do to make him a better self, which is what you just said, mm -hmm. where you strive to be the best you that you can be, not trying to manipulate what everyone else is doing. You don't even you. care about the outcome. Like you, you realize yeah. that it doesn't even matter. You just want to do it for yourself. Totally. Wow, that's, that's really great that you and I both landed on that because – I think that's really the message. I mean, there's a lot of dense messages. This is a very dense movie with a lot of messages, but mm -hmm. I think it's kind of it's a it's kind of core nucleus thesis statement is that just what we touched on, and that's the surrendering of that. Um, and it's funny because Harold said that at first Buddhists were really reaching out saying, "Oh, you you nailed our philosophy in your movie Ground All Day," but then he was like, "But then it was Christians, and then it was you know people from all faiths and creeds were all reaching out and saying, you really you really get us.'" Uh, wow. and he's like, yeah, That's yeah. Impressive. So this movie has, this movie has obviously resonated, um, on so many levels, but it's so spiritual at its core. And then once he does surrender to that and becomes the best version of himself and made the best version of himself that he can. And again, not manipulating. Well, not with the intention of getting out of it purely for the sake right. of just that. I'm going to try to yeah. help everyone I can in this day and make the most out of this day possible. And then he finally gets the reward. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't, he's not like, oh, if I check all these boxes and they're going to let me out of this prison, um, I, he just does it to do it. Obviously, he killed himself many, many, many times. He's like, I've blown myself up more times. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, it's so dark. But that it's just so powerful. This movie is amazing. This movie is unbelievable. It really is. I was so, it's so it, powerful. It, it, it hits on so many levels. I mean, obviously, the initial draw was the quarantine element of that we're kind of like living the same day again and again, but it, it applies to every kind of aspect of life because then you talk to the guys in the small town, the drunks, and he's like, imagine you're just living every day and it's the same and it doesn't really matter what you do and nothing's changed. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> you're, you're speaking my language, man. <laughs> like I get it. I know. So it's, yeah, like it, it's not just for every day. But no. It's not. Obviously, those elements are highlighted because our movement's restricted. Our, our kind of, our lives have been narrowed a bit physically. I went through the yeah. phases that he did. That's why I think it's kind of interesting that you broke it down into the phases, like the phases of grief or whatever that he is going through in this loop because that is exactly what I experienced during this time is like, first of denial like oh it's not a big deal and then like okay it is a big deal and we're like gonna have to stay home and then like despair and like well my unemployment's not gonna come in and you know and then i'm so bored and then getting uh now to the point where i'm like in my rhythm i'm like this is great <laughs> like 
I am spending so much yeah. time with my fiance. I'm doing all the things I never had time to do. My day is completely my own. Like, yes, there are limits and restrictions to what I can do, but I've, I've found a lot of freedom in that and that I can like enjoy simple things like watching a new movie every day or, or working out or sitting out in the sun or just, you know, drinking wine in the daytime. Like there's a lot of simple joys in it that I've yeah. found. So now I'm kind of in the enjoyment level. And I'm sure once it gets to the point where I really, really like have mastered quarantine, then it's going to go back to everyday life. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. definitely not a... It's definitely not a set in stone. Like, I feel like we kind of go through the phases. Like yesterday, I randomly just, I was a bit hungover. I had a couple too many whiskeys. Um, so I've been hitting a little too hard. But uh, the, the hangover definitely, like, added to, I think, my sense of kind of existential ennui. But yeah. yesterday, I kind of had a moment where I was like, when is this going to end? Like, is this ever going to end? Kind of like with Bill Murray. Mm -hmm. um, but then today, today has just been, and I, I did a lot of homework for today. And um, that really kind of got me out of it, I think, by watching and, and growing and learning from this movie and, and its lessons. Um, so today has just been like, I'm so pumped. And uh, I really do feel good about what I'm doing with my time. And like you said, you're bettering yourself. And like like Phil and Groundhog all day, if you look at it as a curse, then it's going to be a curse. But if yeah. you look at it like a gift, then it's going to be a gift. And I think that's everything in life. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, it crosses so many different spheres into all phases of our existence. And yeah, yes, the quarantine, I think, has definitely highlighted and created, you and I definitely reached for this movie because of it. But uh, once once we're released from our, our time loop <laughs> of quarantine, I think it's still going to be the messages and lessons are still going to be there. And you can look at like every day is the same to a lot of degree. You know, you get up, you go to your job or, you, you know, we have a routine and there is a, a comfort and solace in a routine, in a, in a pattern, in a rhythm I think you and I are definitely people that lean more towards less liking that yeah. uh, than other people like definitely hang their hat on. Every, you know, I have my coffee. I, I do mm -hmm. my thing. I, uh, I, I exercise between 8 a.m. and 9. You know, I think you and I are a little less regimented than that in definitely. our kind of artistic out there vibe. Um, not, not to say that one is better than the other. I think you no, just have to find to you. You have own. to find your own approach. Yeah. Right. It's just I, uh, I, I, I really do awesome. think it applies to to everything and maybe uh, having to be in quarantine or having this time look magnifies magnifies it so you're forced to look at these things but these are feelings and 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 like quandaries that we all experience and wondering you know what's the point and it does feel very very monotonous at times and and like that is the whole theory behind existentialism like you know it doesn't really matter and and what's the point but the people that really love existentialism is like there's a beauty in that because once you realize that things doesn't that they don't matter and there's not as much weight upon what you do there's a freedom in it and it's not supposed to be this morbid like philosophy it's supposed to be a very freeing philosophy no i love that yeah, and and obviously Bill Bill Murray, you get to see his kind of progression through those different phases and marked marked so well, um, and we all go through it, you know. And uh, life is kind of a carousel to yeah. a degree. Sure, there are there are differences. It's not literally Groundhog Day every day, but every day is kind of similar in that it's a day. The sun comes up, and sure, the weather changes. We're in LA, the it's always nice. Yeah, <laughs> we're spoiled. We've had some rain, but. Uh, and I, I actually like have loved the rainy days because it's like something different. But 
you kind of have to apply that philosophy to every day. And every day is a chance to be punished by life if you look at it that way. Mm-hmm. But every day is also a chance to grow and, and be better and be stronger. And I think that's why it's Christmas Carol. At the end of Christmas Carol, it's my favorite part where he's like, yeah, he's, he's Scrooge now. Or like his name has kind of been synonymous with miser and his name has been synonymous with gross and, and, and scary. And, oh, here comes Mr. Scrooge walking down the street. But at the end, he's like, you know, he finally like spends some money on clothes. Um, he runs out and buys something really nice. Maybe he had it in the closet, and he's like, "Life, man, life." And the end of Groundhog Day echoes and mirrors that to a T. And that's why I really found myself thinking about it a lot recently. I actually just finally read Christmas Carol uh, this this past rotation, so it's fresh in my mind in the holidays. Mm-hmm. But I was back in Delaware. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's such a powerful message that needs to be that needs to be told. And when you see the movie, there's this cathartic. Like at the end of the movie, I was just like so happy and yeah. seeing him play the piano in front of everybody and seeing him like just be man of the town. And it's like, oh, well, Phil, I mean, and like you said, before before Groundhog Day, the day, he was just some people might have known him from his kind of weatherman-ness. Yeah. But by the end, he's Mr. Town. He's, he's the guy. He's Mr. Punxsutawney. He's Phil. He is Punxsutawney Phil. Mm-hmm. You know? And so he embraced it and, and wore it and not shirked it or, or hated on it or, or put down upon it like he did in the beginning of the movie. He couldn't wait to get out of there. And he's him trying to get out of the town was a, a part we uh, we didn't talk about earlier. But I love uh, one of my favorite lines is when he's on the phone. He's trying to get through to somebody. And he's like, are the satellites down too? the satellites? Because they're snowing. It was a big snowstorm. And he's like, is it snowing in space? That's <laughs> <laughs> like one of my favorite lines. You know, Bill Murray kind of mix, mix it into humor. The, the, yeah, so the brilliant. very beginning lines are so funny because the joke is just beginning to hit, you know. And right. when he's asking for the, uh, the celebrity line or the emergency line, he's like, I'm both. I love that. And so and I, I also love. Yeah, when, I'm a celebrity in an emergency. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I also love when when. Um, <laughs> When I don't know who he's talking to on the phone, but there he was like, "Yeah, well, so there's nothing I can get today," and they're like, "No, maybe tomorrow." And he's like, "But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't today." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I just I imagine somebody, being uh... the other person on the line, being like, "I've got a, what? I've got a five stage cuckoo on the line right now, and he's really lost." Yeah, it. yeah, and like I love the literal tomorrow jokes. Like when he's in the shrink's office, and he's like, "Okay, I'd love to have you back. How's tomorrow?" And he's like. <laughs> And he covers his face with the pillow. Um, but again, I think that's that kind of uh, that existential Buddhist kind of like everyday. It, it, like I read The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. I don't know if you've ever read any Eckhart Tolle. Or, no, or I know, haven't. Probably I'm know. familiar with the book, but I haven't read it. It actually really came to me at a really scary time when I also first came to L.A. And I also didn't have any money. And I was very like just worried about tomorrow and, and paying my rent. If it was the 15th of the month. I was already dreading the first of the month of the, of the following month because I knew I had to pay my rent and I had no money. No. So, and then I literally was on a, a, a I was on a set for a show called My Big Fat uh, My Big Fat Redneck Vacation or something like that. Anyway, it was just a fellow PA, and he sensed how worried I was about tomorrow. You know, mm-hmm. the figurative tomorrow, and he was like, "Oh, you got to repower now, man." And I literally that day after work, I went out and I got a copy of Power Now, and he talks about how he's like, "There is no tomorrow." And I was like, okay. And he's like, the future is a concept. And I was like, I don't know how if I believe this guy. But then the more I went on, the more I understood what he was saying was that there is just an eternal present. And you have to surrender to that eternal present. And the guy literally like sat on park benches and pretend to be like a homeless guy for like weeks at a time. And he would just study people. And anyway, he's a whole nother can of worms. We could talk about him forever. But that idea that there's just there is the eternal present 
And I think that the movie really, obviously in a very funny, hilarious Bill Murray way, um, brings that, that comedy of that there is always the now. Yeah. And we have to be in the now. And as humans, we are really good at, pre- at predicting the future. And a part of our survival is like, okay, well, we got to build a hut that has a roof over our head because at some point it will rain. And the more we can interpret the more we can interpret scenarios and be able to respond to those scenarios is a survival trait that's woven into our DNA. But now we're getting in this, this now it's becoming a hindrance where we're stuck in traffic and our limbic system is freaking out and we're all stressed and we're, our nervous systems are blowing up. And this is a response to the fight or flight mechanism over, you know, biology and genetics. And this is what makes us humans like a cat. A cat's great. Like a cat, a cat's not ever going to be stressed out about paying the bills, you know? Cats, the cat's just living in the now. Yeah, and the cat's so I think stressed we have out to about shed some of that. maybe being hungry and, like, I got to catch, like, some sort of rat or something, you know, like a wild cat. Right. Um, uh, obviously, a house cat doesn't have, have anything to worry about. But, right. yeah, there's these things where it's like, are these actual real concerns or is it just societal pressure? Is it the norm? It, you know, what is actually something that I should spend my time and energy on? Exactly. Yeah. So I think there's got to be a middle ground of, and that's what this movie is trying to tell us. And, you know, some of the stuff that we were saying earlier and with art and at some point you have to surrender to the moment and live in them. Yeah. And it was a shedding a degree. Um, And it took me a a while to get that. And I'm still working on it. I, I'm, I'm a little neurotic. I kind of, I run scenarios in my mind all the time. Me too. And I, and and I like that about me. Yeah. I I like it. And and I'm trying to embrace that part of it. And I think, I think when you do fully embrace and talk about it and when you're open about it, that's when people respond to it instead of the the outcome of that, which is just trying to be really cool or really perfect or what people want. And anytime you try to predict what people are going to want, they don't like it. <laughs> but anytime you're just open and free about who you are and and just embracing life, there's such a large response to it. Exactly like like Groundhog Day. We keep on coming back to it. It's so true. It's perfect. It's so true. It's so true. What a a masterpiece. Uh, Yeah, it's like where he's trying to capture that moment with Rita and it worked in a past loop, but now it just feels artificial. It's It's just like you said. The smallest little thing different, but it's because he was like, oh, she liked this before. She's going to like it again. And she can... She can sense that he's being phony. Right. Yeah. And people can sense you're being phony too. And it's like as simple as things on social media, like, you know, when you're trying too hard, people can sense it. When you're just raw and real, people like it. And so it, it's it's tough. It's a, it's a tough balance because then you're like, oh, then I'll just like be raw and real. But then you're like, but now I'm calculating being raw and real and that's not really it either. <laughs> like, <laughs> I yeah. think that all artists go through that. Like, that's why there's that sophomore album or probably even like with filmmakers, like sophomore movie thing where it's like you're just kind of probably at your wit's end and like, I should give up. But here's my last shot at being success, uh, being a success. And then People really respond to it, and then you're like, but now I'm popular and have money, and how can I tap back into that hungry, desperate part of me? And oftentimes, people just don't resonate with it, you know? It doesn't doesn't work for them anymore, because they're like, you're being fake. Totally. I know. It's a push-pull. And even with, like, sequels, um, I really hope we never see a Groundhog Day 2. I don't really see it working. I, mean, I don't see how that would ever work. Loop. 
I know. But there's so many times where, yeah, like you just said, like it was popular or made money. And then the studios are like, let's do it again. And there's only a few, there's only really a handful of sequels, in my opinion, that, and there are plenty of great ones. I'm not trying to knock sequels in general, but the trap is to chase. The trap is to chase what made the first one good without building off of it. Just duplicate it. Yeah. People are going to love it. It's like, no, they don't. (laughs) And I experienced that so much. You have to build off that, uh, you have to build off the mythology and, and move forward with it instead of just copying blindly yeah and i still you know i'm still struggling with that and haven't perfected it now because i'll find something that's like ooh, people really like that and then i'll try to do something similar and it's like not the same so i guess the the real thing is like we said live in the moment and just be true and genuine and sincere and that's always going to ring true but you can't have one thing that uh that like attains a small amount of success and then just repeat that forever because people aren't going to like that either yeah i know do you uh do you practice meditation at all farah um you know i'm trying to get better about it uh my fiance chase is very into meditation and um i have like taken a like very shallow uh dive into it um and i think my instinct is to always feel that I'm not doing it right which I feel like a lot of people that start meditation because I I I, I've never been diagnosed but I you know I feel like I have a little bit of ADHD this quarantine has given us like we said it's a it's it's looking at it as trying to look at it as a gift not a curse but it's given us um a chance to loosen some of that stimulus to to you know it's it's brought us kind of it's brought us kind of together with ourselves more, I mean, physically, but yeah, it's eliminated a lot of that stimulus. And I think a lot of days we're also inundated now in the present with all the technology. And like you said, social media is present and just, you have to, sometimes you have to just disconnect and that's what meditation really is. And I'm, I'm working at it too. And it's funny you say that because I watched all these videos and they're like, the whole idea is to clear your mind, but you won't be able to. And then I was like, Oh, and I like so that it's not, I- it's not, the good Go guided meditations acknowledge that and that's what makes me feel good and they're like okay you can come back to it and it's not wrong to have these thoughts just acknowledge them so yeah i've done i i haven't um i haven't uh delved into um unguided meditation but i have done guided meditations and i really really enjoy them and it's a little bit different. Sometimes I'll full on fall asleep, I'll be so peaceful. Other times my mind is wandering constantly. Um, right. But I think it. I think it is really important just to to check back in and be like, what's going on with me? Because sometimes we're so stimulated by outer, uh, you know, outer and whatever is happening, right, outside of us that we can't really ever look in. Totally, and I think that's a lot of the messages of this movie. And yeah, and it's it, and it's it's an exercise. And one guy actually said, I, I wish I could recall his name, but he was like, oh well. It's like going to the gym or exercising. Like if you were the most ripped buff person in the world, then you wouldn't really have to. So it's mm-hmm. like meditation is, is no different. Like you're to think that you're going to be able to do it perfectly. And this actually took the pressure off for me um, that, yeah, those thoughts are going to come in. And it's like, that's not why you do it. If, if you could just do it perfectly, then you probably wouldn't even need to do it. You know, so uh, it's the same metaphor. So it's really just an exercise. And I, I have to make time for it, too. And I have been able to a lot of people say an hour. I'm, I'm trying to do 20 minutes. Uh, it's gotten easier to find the time now in, in quarantine. Um, 
but something I that I really want to keep I think 20 minutes is a really is a really good introduction. Like I don't yeah. certainly do 20 minutes, but I sometimes with Chase I have done guided meditations and it's and I haven't gotten into the habit of doing it all the time. Um but just starting small, whether it be like what we've been doing is yoga, which I feel like has meditative elements because oh, sometimes it's just stretching and thinking and, and focusing on your breath, which I've noticed is a huge element in meditation, just focusing yeah. on the now. Um, and the truth of the matter is the people that I really respect the most and seem to have their, you know you know what, together are people that meditate and, and take time every day to be like, how do I feel? What's my intention? What's my goal today? It's just simple check-ins, whereas if not, we're just kind of running through the motions a lot and we kind of get lost. Yeah, and you have to, like I said, set set the bar where you want to set it because if you just get frustrated, like if you go into the gym day one and just start ripping bicep curls and you grab your <laughs> sixty pound weight, you know you're gonna fry yourself out and then you're gonna quit and then it's not gonna be a it's not gonna be a routine. It's just gonna you're just you know so you have to, and it's all about your own your own approach and your own style to anything, um, which I really thought that was communicated in Groundhog Day as well. Like Phil, really, he took a piano. Nobody told him to get good at piano. No one told him to get good at ice sculpting. He just mm-hmm. Things that he liked, things that were him, things that were his style. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. Well, there was one more thing I wanted to say that this actually has a little bit of sadness to it. There's a little bit of a sad story with Groundhog Day because of Harold Ramis's and Bill Murray's kind of schism. They, they, for apparently 20 years, didn't speak. And I actually looked into it because it was one of those things that I couldn't find a lot of um, material on this particular side of it because it is kind of a gross thing. And the movie obviously became a hit. And you hear, you hear a lot of Bill Murray talking about it now, like presently, and he speaks very fondly about it. There's none of the kind of push-pull stuff. But apparently there was one famous moment where Harold Ramis slams uh, Bill Murray up against the wall and says, just stop being such a jerk, you know, and whether that was, maybe that was Bill Murray kind of being a jerk in the movie. But anyway, it actually has a really, really happy kind of ending to it because uh, it was uh, Harold Ramis's daughter, Violet, Violet Ramis Steele wrote a book called um, daughter of ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. And, uh, she talks about she talks about her her late father Harold and um, who was also in the movie. He plays the neurologist. He gets like the brain scans. That's actually yeah. Harold. Oh yeah, uh, and yeah, he yeah. plays. Yeah, he plays uh, Egon in the Ghostbusters movies. Yeah, um, yeah, that's anyway. how I, I recognized him right away. Yeah, and these guys were like best friend collaborators for so long. So it was kind of sad that they had a falling out, which it did actually end. Um, apparently, Bill Murray showed up to Harold's door with donuts and like a fleet of like cop cars and made a big scene out of it so uh, he literally like, he literally groundhog dayed him they kind of they didn't speak for 20 years and it was always like you know even with ghostbusters stuff they would talk through they would talk through other people and it was like a couple breaking up kind of thing but his like peace offering was kind of a direct reference to groundhog day where he showed up with pastries and police cars like i know that yeah. bill murray didn't show up with police cars but it is an element in the movie <laughs> he's like i yeah. know what people like coffee and pastries yeah no exactly uh yeah it's uh ghostbusters daughter is the name of the book uh she mentions uh she mentions what's going on there and that they did end peacefully and then at uh at how Hel- Hel- ramus's passing um bill was very kind and 
so it fortunately it had a really like happy ending because there was this definitely this uh legacy around this particular movie that this was the one that like kind of drove them apart um but they ended up it drove them this movie is what drove them apart see this is all new to me so i'm enthralled yeah yeah and i had i had to i had to touch on it because it's it's one of those kind of unspoken things that surrounds the legacy that surrounds this movie um but it has a very happy ending where they did kind of come back together and uh and you can only look back and say, man, these guys obviously Ghostbusters, Stripes, Groundhog Day—they've collaborated on a lot of a lot of big things, and um, you know that their legacy is definitely interwoven. So it has kind of a happy ending. And I, yeah, I, I literally just learned that uh, this morning. I looked up because everyone kept saying, "Oh, you know they fell out. You know they fell out and they kind of broke up." Uh, so I had to I had to touch on it. But it has a really happy ending where that they they made amends they made they peace reconcile. before Harold passed but i think that is really interesting because i mean maybe this is not well maybe it is advice to to the actors listening just that the the actors that i feel have been the most successful and it's not to say that they aren't versatile but they're playing versions of themselves a lot in their kind of like quintessential or breakthrough or you know roles and right. is is bill mary Bill Murray. Bill Murray kind of that asshole is that cuz I don't really know anything about his personal life. But the fact that he held him up against the wall and said stop being such an asshole, I was like, "Oh my god, is 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 he a little bit of that character which is a little bit like lost in translation, a little bit Scrooge, a little bit Groundhog Day where his maybe he's a little big for his britches and cocky but so funny and charming yeah. that you can't really deny him." Um yeah, I guess you're never going to be able to like fully separate the man and and the character, um, and obviously him playing, him being able to play that role probably had a lot to do with him being cast. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I I think it was, you know, I I actually saw some of the making of, and you could almost see him kind of like poking fun at Harold off camera, and I think he was just like, you're an actor, and when you're when you're in the zone, auto zone, um, when you're in the zone playing that part, <laughs> I think. That you, you know, even when they yell cut, like some of it still transcends and you're like trying to kind of keep that. Exactly. That you're, jerk, in the, you're in the that jerk alive in, the in between takes. Yeah. So I'm wondering if that kind of just spilled out. But apparently there was um, there was a lot to do with like kind of the direction of the movie. And I think Bill Murray was trying to break out of comedy and do more dramatic. Uh, and I think this movie ended up it ended up being a win anyway, because I feel like the movie does get really dark and maybe he wanted to push the darkness a little farther mm-hmm. ultimately, and maybe, maybe lose the comedy, uh, genre tag. But, um, the movie is a comedy and does have that darkness to it. Yeah. That um, would have been a mistake. Has so I'm glad message. they didn't. Do yeah. That. I, I can't agree more. And, uh, so I think now in hindsight, they both have a, a great movie under their belt. That's very powerful. And that we're still talking about right now, 27 years later. So, is a win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did it. That, I mean, it, it, it's a brilliant piece of art, and I'm so glad that we revisited it. Yeah, me too. This has been really, really cool. I'm I'm happy to land there. If there's any closing remarks you wanna wanna say, or I feel like or we bring touched up. upon everything that really struck me. I feel like it's been a success. It's been a super success. It's I've had nothing success. but a grin on my face this whole time, Farah. <laughs> And I feel like I got to hang out with you. I really miss you. I know. And it, 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 it does. It's funny because when you haven't been hanging out with people, 
you you just get used to not doing it and then the few little zooms that I've done of it, well, I do miss people, I guess. You're like, oh man, I really, really do love life, love people. <laughs> turns turns out. <laughs> turns out I do like humanity. All right, well, thank you so much, Farah, for coming and doing the show. Thanks for sharing your, your time with me, the better part of the morning, the afternoon. Uh, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been a journey. Been one a that journey. I am happy to have had with you. Me too. And I can't thank you enough. Farah, I will list some of your um, some of your stuff on the page, but is there a little a couple websites you want to mention or YouTube channel or anything you want to plug? Stream it on uh, Spotify or Apple Music and also save that because that's where the algorithm really kicks in if you're filming. So if you like it, save it, put it in your library, share it with your friends. That's That's my whole spiel. All right, cool. I'll definitely have all the links on the description of the episode. But Farah Shea, check her out online. She's a hell of a gal. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. Th- thanks so much, Farah. Appreciate Thank your time. Thank you.